0: Yourself. Ah. Show them what you about. Drag-out. Hey everybody, I'm Joseph Shepherd, TV personality and host of Exposed Dragged Out, brought to you by the Depth. Now I'm a Drag Race fanatic and over the years I've been interviewing some of the world's best drag queens and people keep asking me to like, you know, interview the queens who went home too soon. So that is exactly what I'm going to be doing on Dragged Out. I'll sit down with some of your favorite queens who just so happen to go home a little bit too early on any drag race franchise that's right we'll be hitting up thailand australia canada uk and the us so grab your seat in the interior illusions lounge because you never know what you'll hear on dragged out and for our first episode of dragged out you know we couldn't do this any other way i had to go back in time to 2009 through that blur filter that rupaul used to have on the show And I had to find Porkchop. And that is exactly what I did. I am so excited to interview Porkchop. She's the first queen to go home in the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, we're going to be diving into her time in the pageant world, what actually went down on season one, her ongoing legacy on Drag Race, because she is a legend. I mean, you cannot go a season of Drag Race without hearing her name. And we're going to get into so much more. So let's get into it. Porkchop, how are you doing? I'm doing great, how are you, darling? I am good. It's so good to like see you in person right across from me. Here I is. Here you <laughs> is. It's not been an easy trip, but I've made it. <laughs> you made it, you're here, you're here. Now, when I was like looking into your history, you started drag, what, at the age of 18? I actually started at the age of
1: 17 on my 17th birthday. January 16, 1987, a friend of mine during our summer vacation from our junior year going into our senior year had invited me to go to the gay bar with them. And I didn't know what a gay bar was, I kind of <laughs> thought I knew what it was, but I didn't have the you know clear photo of it in my mind. So he got his mom to drop him off at the roller skating rink, as he usually did, and he came, picked me up in a taxi. And he got in drag or what he thought was drag. He had two tank tops and he wore one as a top and one as a skirt and a lovely piece of hair he'd gotten somewhere at a Goodwill and no makeup. (laughs) (laughs) And I was dressed as a boy with my face painted as well as it could be with cover girl. (laughs) And cover girl does not cover boy. So we both probably look like (laughs) idiots who have landed from Mars and here we go. He was black, I was white. We went to a predominantly uh, African-American nightclub and I think that there were three people in the club who were Caucasian, but I had a ball and they were having a pageant the night that I went. And I stood in the back and I watched and I was like, hmm, I could do that. I know I could do that because if they could do that, I could do that. Because I was a performer uh-huh. in high school and since I was a kid. In show choir, on stage, and theater, all of those types of things. And basically they were lip syncing and they were they were really good. I was impressed. So I at the end of the night, sneaked up to the person who was in charge, whose name was Adrian Ash, and asked her, could I do a show? And she was a very nice person, and I learned later how much I would find her a valuable asset in my career because she was so knowledgeable and intelligent and experienced in entertainment. And she said yes, and I went in and I did a talent show like the next month, and it was a fashion show. for the spring (laughs) and I dug through my mother's closet and found her bestest stuff and went and got laughed at and I had the opportunity to do a number where I got booed and I had a great time and the audience they really you know I performed and I did my number and I didn't care if they booed or not and someone at the end of the night came up to me and said you know you have a great stage presence, and the way that you just stayed on stage and you didn't let anything happen or bother you, you're going to really be somebody because I can see your your potential. And I heard that, and that's all I heard. And I kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and within, that was in January of 87. In June of 1988, I was the first Caucasian person to ever win that club's title. And I beat every other drag queen who was in that pageant that night. They were also in that pageant, and within a year, I was good enough to beat everybody who was at the club I was impressed
0: with a year earlier. I love that you you know you took like you said like you know your your boot or whatever and you had the negativity but you listened to that one positive thing yes because I believed that
1: one positive I mm-hmm. knew I looked like an idiot I had on my mother's tweed skirt and her you know thrilly blouse she wore to church that was high neck by Lily Palmer or someone she got it Belk's I'm sure and a pair of flats I borrowed from a friend of mine and I looked like a complete boob I also <laughs> wore my own hair because Jessica Fletcher on Murder She Wrote was the key at the time and every Everyone loved her and so i had hair and i had had it styled like jessica fletcher's hair and i did my own makeup and i thought i looked fabulous they did not <laughs> well they did
0: eventually what like a year later right well
1: they thought i looked fabulous a year later
0: <laughs> but that <laughs> night they were key keying at me <laughs> where did the name pork chop end up coming from were you always pork chop oh no when i started uh, i was very serious and professional
1: i had a every pageant girl has three names you know that's it has got to be and my name is Victoria Renee Parker and the Renee was from what was her name Joni Bennett Parker was the girls who I took Parker from she was on Miss Fayetteville my hometown and she won Miss North Carolina and Renee I just thought was very pretty <laughs> because my middle name starts with an R as well and I thought it was cohesive and I knew that you know with three names, and the names I selected, I always thought in the back of my mind that you wanna have a name that everyone can pronounce and remember and be very distinct. I was gonna be Victoria Renee Bennett, but I thought to myself, I'll ever win a lot of things, they're gonna say, oh, she's Bennett. So I don't (laughs) wanna do that, so I went with Parker instead. And Porkchop didn't come along till probably, gosh, 95, 96. Eventually, I met a drag queen, very well known, a national title holder at the time named Carmela Marcela Garcia. She was Miss USA at Large, which is for contestants who weigh over 200 pounds as a national pageant system that she was the very first, actually. And she saw me compete for Miss North Carolina, my first time in it. And she saw, she fell in love with me immediately. And at that time, drag pageants were huge there was 50 contestants in the state pageant which meant there were at least 25 prelims wow. because you had to win or be first or put a prelim to go and my first time at miss north carolina i did extremely well and the judges panel fell in love with me and she adopted me as her daughter that night and it was a fabulous weekend for me and she eventually because she liked to travel and come stay with me And I cooked pork chops, which was my favorite dish to cook. She just started calling me pork chops because she wanted me to cook pork chops for her all the time. So I became pork chop. And the first time she announced me as that, I just thought, oh, my God pork chop I thought, <laughs> my name is victoria renee parker what do you mean pork chop oh my god anyway uh-huh. so decades later i realized that it's a great gimmick and no one's ever going to forget pork chop and exactly. it has certainly benefited me because you probably wouldn't care or remember victoria renee parker but you're going to remember and you're going to always distinguish pork chop
0: yeah and it's also like the one name like beyonce madonna pork chop yes. you know it, i
1: know beyonce
0: you know eliza yeah Porkchop, that's me there you go <laughs> You have there there i want to i want get into your win in 2000 your miss continental plus i actually won in 2003 let's not take it back any three further let's not go any further be. 2003. No.
1: <laughs> i obviously I, I kept getting better and better and better And when I won Miss Continental Plus, at that point, before I won, I had been first runner-up to seven national pageants in a row. My first time at Continental Plus, which was in 1996, I was first runner-up, I almost won. My first time at Miss National at Large, another national pageant, I was first runner-up. I almost won. My first time at Miss USA at Large, I was second runner-up out of 50 people. I almost won. Of course, my, I had not even won a talent show when I got second runner-up at Miss USA at Large. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> and I just kept going because I realized that the people outside of my home area and my state, it's hard to break into this business mm-hmm. when you are surrounded by people who have known you your whole life or don't see what your potential could be if you were able to get the assistance and the help that you needed. And I went out of state. I went out of my area, and I started winning contests and going to nationals because I knew, always knew that there was a bigger picture than just trying to be Miss Oz, which was a gay club in my hometown, or Miss Lynn's Lounge, or Miss Fayetteville, or Miss North Carolina. I wanted to win all of those, but I also wanted to win the national titles because I wanted to travel and I wanted to be known nationally. Yeah. I didn't want to just be known, you know, as a local queen who happened to win Miss Such and Such nightclub once. And that just wasn't what I saw for myself. And so when I started competing, I had a big goal in my mind. And I eventually got hired at a nightclub. I worked at The Connection in Louisville, Kentucky, which was a huge gay bar. It took up a whole corner block, like a whole block wow. in Louisville. And we, I worked at a theater that sat 1,200 people. It had rafters and it had huge balconies in the rafters where people could go and watch the shows. And they also had National Entertainer of the Year there. And I worked there for five years. And working in that environment and doing productions and being involved with professional dancers and people who were more talented than me made me get better and want to work to get to where they are because I don't want to have to always think to myself, ooh, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And the more people I put in front of me and beside me who I thought were talented and great at what they do, it made me want to live up to what they were doing. And so it made me better. And the better I got, the closer I kept getting to winning a national pageant until I finally won Miss Continental Plus 2003. And it's on video on YouTube. The promoter
0: of Continentals posted that and several others. What was your year like after that? Were you traveling? Were you doing things? Like, what was that like? What was the year like after
1: that? When I gave up, that's how I started getting into TV and film. Mm -hmm. When I gave up Miss Continental Plus, the producers of a movie called Transtasia, I'm not sure if you've ever seen or heard of that, but it was a documentary that was filmed in Las Vegas in 2004 for the world's most beautiful transsexual. That was the name of the contest. Mimi Marks won, but they asked me to come compete because you had to be asked or uh, put in an application and be selected mm-hmm. to go compete for the pageant. Well, they were there looking for contestants, and they asked me to go compete. Well, I don't know if they thought I was transsexual or not, but I didn't tell them I wasn't. I just know they asked me to come <laughs> be in the pageant, and they were filming it, and that's what I wanted to be, yes. as on a film. And so I went, and I did really well at the pageant. I obviously didn't win, because for one, I'm not a transsexual, but they gave me a lot of airtime, and I got a lot Uh, Feedback from that. Then the next year, 2005, I was cast in a movie called Pageant. Yes. Partly based upon my performance in Transtasia because I stuck out so much, the producers of that movie wanted
0: to know more about me. You end up getting on a little TV show called RuPaul's Drag Race in 2009. Now, let me ask you, what was the, how did you even get contacted for that? Did you audition? What was it like back then? Because I know I had seen interviews with other people like Chanel and stuff who said when they were cast for it, they didn't even know technically what it was going to be. Is that true? That is very true. I didn't even know about it. This is what happened in my situation. I was
1: competing for Miss Gay America at the time. I had moved from Nashville to Raleigh, back to North Carolina, and I was MC in hosting the shows at the legends nightclub and I had won Miss Gay DC and been to Miss America and my promoters after the national pageant they had heard about this I hadn't heard about it yet but they had heard about it and they called me and they said have you heard about this show that RuPaul's putting together It's a reality show looking for a, a drag superstar and I said no I hadn't heard a word they said well we think you ought to be on it why don't you apply and I said well how and they said, "I don't. We don't know. We don't know anything. We just heard about it. Why don't you contact the people who own the movie pageant, see what they know?" So, not being a real shy person, <laughs> and I do believe that if you want something, you have you to reach have out to. and you gotta get it. I called the producers of Pageant, the director, and the number one producer and i told them i would heard this and could they find out who was producing it who is you know in charge and get me a phone number that i wanted to call because i wanted to be on the show so the next day they called me back and they had a phone number and i don't remember whose name they said it was or if they even gave me a name but i called the number and i spoke to someone and they knew who i was and they told me exactly what to do they said go to dragrace.com there'll be an application there we're doing an online competition but don't pay that any attention it doesn't matter if you win that online competition or not we're casting people based upon what we like what we're looking for so go on and do what you have to do and hopefully you'll get on the show And I did all of that, and I got on the show.
0: (laughs) I, I think that is so funny that literally you were like, you know what, it's a RuPaul competition show, why not, let me go and figure out how to do it. Yes, because
1: I knew I'd always done, because at that point and still, everything you love or like or have any opportunity to be in is gonna be turned into a ira- reality show. Mm-hmm. And I knew eventually there was gonna be some type of drag reality show, and I wanted to be on it. And I wanted to be on the first season because who knows if it's gonna make yeah. it past that first season. And, and luckily yeah. it did, didn't it? <laughs>
0: luckily it did, and, and then, you know, you had your lovely moment when that photo shoot challenge, washing the car, you had the hot, sexy pit crew members. Porkchop, it looked like you, you, you forgot there was a photo shoot for those moments. What happened was, <laughs> what, what had happened was, what
1: had happened really was, they had told us to become prepared and not to be able to use the outfit we wore again. Mm. That and the, but they didn't tell us anything but that they said just don't plan on being able to use it again. And. In my mind, I thought, well, we're going to have to turn this into something else. I'm going to, so I wore that wrap. I wore mm-hmm. as much fabric as I could that stretched and it gave me a little extra so I could, you know, turn it into something else if I had to. And when they, they didn't tell us what we were doing. Literally, they t- came and t- took us out of the green room or the waiting area where we were standing and said, come with us and walked us outside. And they said, here you go. They didn't tell us nothing. Here you go. And so, I'm looking at this very expensive car (laughs) that I know that I weigh 270 pounds. And if I get on the hood of this car, it's going to dent and (laughs) someone's going to be very upset and I can't crawl on the top of the car. It's going to be dented and I'm going to be in trouble for denting the car that costs a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars. And then here's chocolate one and chocolate two. And they were like, Oh my God, fabulous. And so it was like, Stand here and flirt with them, or get on the car and get dented and get kicked off, or stand here and flirt with them and try to look. You might get kicked off, but I just couldn't get on that car and dent it. That's all I could think about was I'm going to dent this car if I get on it, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. I wish now I'd got on it and I'd have dented the hell out of it.
0: Oh yes, yes, you should have, and that would have been replayed at the top of every drag oh my race God. episode. I it it's probably have RuPaul's
1: car; she kicked yeah. me off anyway. But you know what? What happened in the end was the same. So. <laughs>
0: Well, the show has evolved so much over time. And your time on it, you know, we had the blur filter. Oh, yes. Uh, was What What was that? Do you know? Do you think that they, like, wax those camera lenses up? I don't know what they did. I've never seen, you know, anything quite like that
1: before <laughs> or since. And they didn't tell us that when we were filming. They told us nothing about how the picture would be. Mm-hmm. I, there was nothing special about any of the cameras. There was no, you know, thick glass on anything there was nothing you know we saw that was telling of that and when it first came on i thought it was something wrong (laughs) it was my television i was like well this is so damn blurry what the hell i don't know i guess you know someone had this great idea to use this to use the filter filter. and i must say rupaul is a very unique individual and he likes putting unusual touches on things Mm -hmm. maybe he thought that this is you know no one's ever done this before maybe this and you know. It worked because it certainly was out of the ordinary and unusual. And just like today, what, 12 years later, we're still Still talking talking about about that blur. What an ingenious thing to do because no one has ever forgotten that. And it's probably helped the show because although people look at it now and think, what the hell? And they thought at the time, why is it like that? Are they crazy? It's now a very memorable thing that has put the show in a re- spot that you can't be replaced
0: with. Exactly, and the other thing too is just like about your your time on the show. Everything was so new then. What was like stage and studio and stuff like? Was it like a very small knit crew? And like, was it a small studio? Or like, do you think that it expanded over time? Um, I wouldn't say it was a small studio.
1: What I will say, is And I think they still do the same thing. They wouldn't let any of us on anything. They wouldn't let us get on the stage. They wouldn't let us go into the dressing room. They wouldn't let us do anything until it was actually time for us to do mm-hmm. it. So the first time we, you see us walk on that runway, that's the first time that we got to walk on that runway. Mm-hmm. And it was slick plexiglass. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> obviously I slid later on because it was very slippery. But soon as I saw it and I saw it was a plexiglass stage, I was like, that thing's gonna be like ice. And every they would sh- they would get out there with Windex and whatever else oh, no. every time before we would start get our thing, they would get up there and clean it and shine it up and get it good greasy. Uh, so we could uh. get out there and slide around <laughs> like sausages in a pan. <laughs> and I, you know, it was what it was they weren't sure of where the show was going either. I mean, I'm sure that they were on a shoestring budget and Mm -hmm. they were, you know, thinking, let's do the very best we can to make this look like we've spent a lot without doing so. And it didn't really feel like that in person. I will say it did feel like in person that they were learning as we went because it was everyone's first time doing this type of thing. And it was a very interesting experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It certainly gave me the opportunity to realize because I was scared Mm -hmm. in the moment. Because in I, my opinion, and I think everybody else's, I was the most well-known entertainer on the mm-hmm. show at that point, and I was the only person who'd won a national title, and I f- didn't want to embarrass any of the people whom I was representing with a national title, yeah. or the anyone else, because I didn't want to make a fool of myself, mm-hmm. because I didn't know what was going to happen, I didn't know how it was going to be edited, so I was very aware of how I was looking and what I was saying and what I was doing, because I didn't want anyone to be embarrassed or think, what are you doing to yourself or your, your career? And I wish now I had not been that way, but what do you do when you're in that situation? Exactly. You're competing against some people who've only done drag three months. And here I am, I've had a 20 year career and I've won all these national titles at this point, And I don't want to embarrass
0: myself. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you feel like your time on the show? Do you feel like you received any of that, like any backlash or negativity oh, in the my pageant gosh. world? Yes.
1: And not just me, I think everyone who's has been on the show and who goes back into competing feels it from the people who are the owners or judges. Yeah. When I got home from the show, the man whom I worked for in Raleigh at Legends, he told me that it was when the show aired he was like, that is the worst choice you could have ever made for your career. Do you realize how stupid you look? And he eventually he fired me for it because he really? was outraged. And just like I thought in person that I had embarrassed him and his club by going on the show. A lot. And do, I didn't do anything but just go mm. and be on the show. I got eliminated first. But hell, who cares? <laughs> At this point, you know, how wonderful I got on the show is what I think. But no one saw it like that during that time. And it took two or three seasons for people to think differently about it. When I would go to national pageants, people would roll their eyes. I remember I was in Miss Gay America competing the day that they announced the cast of the show. And I got an email from someone with the show saying, we've just announced the cast, la, 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 la. And I told someone who was standing beside me, a friend of mine, that they had just announced the cast of Amazon. And they said, Oh, girl, we already know that. Everybody knows who's on the show. Do you think we care, though? Everyone's no. attitude, No one cared, because everyone thought it was going to be a failure. They didn't think that it would ever be able to be a success in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And because so many people doubted it, and so many people doubted that the mainstream community would like the show, that made me want to dwell into it even more, because the people who had not been cast, or the people who really wanted to be on the show who had not been cast, they got the attitude that somehow it was a very negative thing Mm. that we'd been cast. Why are you all getting paid these large amounts of money? Why are you all being treated? You know, they didn't see it as a positive thing being on the show. They saw it as a negative thing. And that didn't change, I would say, until at least season four or five.
0: Really? Oh, when yes. did you? When do you think you noticed that change?
1: The year that right. Sh- I think Sharon, and that's when things changed. Because Sharon, for whatever reason, the, the Sharon and the animosity between her and Fifi, and I can't say whom else on the cast helped it, but mm-hmm. the people in the mainstream really, 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 and I think Willem was on the show. That was that mm-hmm. Willem season. Yeah. That cast, for whatever reason was a huge attention-getter to the mainstream media, to the mainstream audience. And that was also the first year that they did a live finale. And by that point, I'd moved to LA because I was thinking, well, if this has been on two years, it's going into the third. This is really working out well. I'm going to move and take a chance. Maybe this is going to keep going. Because when I got eliminated, the producers really liked me. Mm-hmm. And I knew who really, really liked me. They walked me to the car after my elimination. They said, we have a promise to you. If you stay with the show and you stay positive, we're going to take care of you. If you are in the area, if you are able to get here, we'll use you as much as possible because we really like you and you're really great on stage. And if the show's a success, we're going to make sure that we don't forget you. And they told me that from the very, very start. And they kept their promise to me because I moved here without any, you know, contract or any mm-hmm. negotiations of being anything or anybody with them. When I went to the finale the first time and it was filmed for season four, all of a sudden RuPaul announced me in the audience and said, Hey, pork chop. And they had this whole thing set up I didn't even know about. <laughs> and Every year since then, it's been going, you know, strong. So the chance I took turned into an opportunity that I'm still able to grasp.
0: Exactly. And I mean, you also on the show, you you opened up, too, about like your time in drag, like in the early years when you had the attack and stuff like that. What led you to speaking up about that, especially on TV?
1: Well... I believe in being honest, Mm -hmm. and everyone's story is not great, and everyone's story is not going to be, you know, my parents are very supportive, everyone in my family comes to the show. Everyone's not like that. And many people have had it much harder than me in my life, certainly. And I wanted people to hear that if you're having a hard time, if you've had these problems, if you have been – I was obviously being discriminated against, but everyone who was gay or transgendered, was being discriminated against and it was acceptable almost and very uneventful for anyone to be able to bully or fight or beat up or shoot at or do anything you wanted to to anyone in the community who was gay or transsexual because we were considered second-class people. And I wanted people to know that what I had experienced, and if you had experienced that, stand up and tell it. Mm -hmm. Let people know what you've been through because life experience is what you have to share with everyone, and everyone doesn't have a perfect backstory. Everyone hasn't got a wonderful, supportive family. And there's people out there just like me who needed to hear that to make it you know, okay for them to tell someone because I'm sure there was people who were embarrassed yeah. that they'd been shot at or, in, or embarrassed they were beat up because they were gay or embarrassed that you know people discriminate against them obviously I've never been embarrassed because I've always made it a point to tell yell scream point right make a point of whoever has done it to me so they'll think twice about doing it to someone else
0: exactly and I think too we're I, I have always been in this mentality until recently where I was like I gotta like present this perfect image to everybody and say this thing of like, you know, oh, no, I didn't have any problem. My family was good because I was always afraid. You know what, how's my mom gonna react if she were to hear X, Y, and Z? And I got to the point where I was just like, why does it matter? That's my story. Like that's gonna help somebody else. At the end of the day, somebody else gonna be like, I can relate to you in that way.
1: I'm sure that a lot of people feel just like you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the majority of the people who are worried that their parents, you know, what are they gonna think? the parents probably already know (laughs) (laughs) or have a good idea and it's so much easier to be accepted for who you are in this day and time than it was at that time because it just was not an acceptable position to be involved with anything gay anybody who someone thought was gay you were you were shunned almost kind of like you had covid you had the gayness so if you had the gayness then no one wants to be involved with you and I think because of the show, I think because of people who like me, like people who have shared their story and been truthful to what they've come from and how they got to where they're at has made people realize these people are just like us they just happen to be someone who likes the same sex there's nothing different about them than that they have a different sexual orientation than i do and i don't judge people who are straight i don't care who they marry why should they care who we marry if we work together or if we do things socially together and we're not attracted to each other and we're not I'm not straight and you're not gay. That's okay. Yeah. We we'll, won't we'll discuss that. Just accept me for who I am because I'm accepting you for who you are.
0: It's like, it's always weird, like thinking about that, you know, like just people can be butt hurt over who you love and who you identify as. And I, I say that and I, tr- I truly believe that.
1: And I know that so many millions of people have moved forward from that where they, we were, but we still have a long way to go. Very long way. Before I moved here, I'd moved to a small town in North Carolina, Lumberton, which is the area where Stacy Lane Matthews Mm -hmm. lives. And when I was there, the last time I was there, people would—I walked into the pay my light bill or something—and when I was walking back to the car, somebody was yelled, "You devil! You devil! You're devil! You're devil!" And I thought to myself. I should turn around and I should really let you have it, but it's not going to make any difference because that's what they have learned and yep. they have been taught their whole life. And these were very, that, that community was very religious and they were still stuck in the ways that many, many other people have been. And mm-hmm. I realized right then that there was still a very, very long way to go because I didn't want to live in a community where people would consider me a devil, whether I was or whether I wasn't, just based upon you seeing me and me being feminine and you assuming I'm gay does not make me a devil. It might make me someone who you don't care for their sexual orientation, but it doesn't make me any different than you are. You're probably a bigger devil than I am if I knew who you really were.
0: Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) Speaking about the devil, there was a devil called your, your, the first lip-sync ever, and that was you to Supermodel. We did have some fan questions, and they did want to know. It looks like you were not lip-syncing the words. What was the reason behind this? I was lip-syncing the words. I, I know that song. I had never mm-hmm. done the song,
1: but I, I knew the song. I looked at Akasha, and I looked at me, and i knew what i had was wearing and i knew what she was wearing and i knew what had happened previously in the show i didn't know what was going to be aired but i knew what had happened to that point and so i thought the best thing for me to do is look pretty try to get through this song without falling mm-hmm. tripping embarrassing myself on because i was on a slippery stage <laughs> that they had just shined and waxed and i had on shoes and a pair of little green Uh, socks i got from the dollar store (laughs) rack and i can't say that the viewer is wrong i just think there was so much in my head trying to think you know and that's what i did wrong was i was so worried about trying to think of my next move and what i was going to look like Mm -hmm. to the people who were seeing me that i could not just be myself and have a good time and i told them there at that time and I told people to this day if I was a producer and I was watching Akasha and I and I saw me being interviewed and I saw her being interviewed I would have kept Akasha. I'm standing over here trying to be nice and pleasant Mm -hmm. and you know trying to say as much that I could think of to say without being any type of way other than nice as possible because that's how I wanted to come across and here Akasha is having never won anything, having never been in a a pageant, never having anything to feel like she's going to have to live up to or be embarrassed by, she's over in the corner letting me have it. And that was great, because that was who she was, and she Mm -hmm. was being herself. And it was much better for the producers to see someone like that than someone like me. So I wasn't shocked I got eliminated. I probably would have eliminated me too, based upon what I saw. I know now, based upon what I saw, I would have been a much better contestant mm-hmm. if I would have stayed because I had a wardrobe that would have blown you away. I had 50 wigs. I had everything I needed to. And after that particular challenge, I would have aced everything all the way to the end because there wasn't much more sewing. I might have mm-hmm. got eliminated at the end when they had to make the three different outfits, but I would have made it because every competition after that was
0: a ace in the hole for me. What do you think um you did not get to show the world during Drag Race? Like what do you think you did they did not get to see about you?
1: I think that they did not get to see my talent mm-hmm. because they didn't there wasn't much you could do to that song to be honest yeah. with you. That wasn't my strong suit. I had never done that song before because it just wasn't my type of thing to do that type of song and I like to do songs that have feeling. I like to be able to feel a number, whether it's a, a dance number, and I danced more at that time than I do now, just let me tell you, <laughs> or a ballad, whatever. I want to be able to feel it, and that's just not a, a number, and I'm sure mm-hmm. um, it's a feel-good number. It's a yeah. have fun number, and it's obvious why they use that, because it was RuPaul's best well-known song, and I'm sure it was for free. Yeah. And so why not jump <laughs> on it? We left for free, and so <laughs> I got it. I get it, and It's uh, my responsibility for what I presented on stage, but it's unfortunate that the people didn't get to see my real talent Mm -hmm. and more of who I really was, because I had a lot more to say, a lot more to show, and a lot more talent that they really could have gotten a lot of use
0: out of. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, the crazy thing now is that you literally are mentioned in every episode, like every season of Drag Race now, like you, it's always, you had... The Pork chop Lounge this past season. <laughs> when did you figure out about that? Did you know? Well, <laughs> here's a story for you. The day I
1: did the Snatch Game episode, I really was late. That wasn't any pretend. That wasn't in the script. My um, friend who was going with me to help me got in an automobile accident and got rear-ended on his way to kick me up. His car got totaled. and. At the last moment I had to go get a rental car. The rental car agency, because this was in the middle of COVID, it closed at two o'clock. The accident happened at about one thirty-five. So literally I got to the rental car place to pick up the rental car at two oh one. Oh my god. And then I had to go to the hospital to see my friend because my friend had gotten in an automobile accident mm-hmm. picking me up and their car got totaled and they're in the emergency room. I could not not go. So I went to the hospital. And I was supposed to be on set to have lunch with everyone at like 3:30. Well, I didn't get back to my house until four o'clock to start getting in drag, and I painted my face until five. And I was supposed to be on set ready to go at six. Well, I didn't get to the studio until 5:40, and I had on foundation and powder. And the producers are like, "We're not going to wait. We're not waiting. We've already done your uh, setup. We've already had a stand-in." do your camera angles, Do all you gotta do is get ready. So literally, I had 20 minutes to get (gasps) ready, and I got ready, and I was ready when they announced my name.
0: Yes!
1: (laughs) So that's the behind the story of that. I really was late, but there really was a good excuse. (laughs) What, what about that? uh the, the pork chop lounge? What would you they, think of that? Maybe if I'd have made it to that luncheon, yeah. they were going to tell me because the producers wanted to have lunch with me. That was... they. Ah,
0: uh, so that was yes, like... Yes, and so to I s- missed uh.
1: that, all of that. And so... I didn't know anything until the episode was announced. And I didn't know anything until my friend who'd gotten into the automobile accident called me and told me, have you seen the uh, the preview of it? I was like, uh-uh. Well, he's, it's called the pork chop. I was like, really? And I didn't know anything more than anyone else. I was like, where is this going? So I just sat back and watched. <laughs> what, what does that feel like,
0: though, when that happens?
1: I have to tell you, after the first season episode came on, my friend and I, another friend of mine went to Walmart. And people do me in Walmart. I get recognized a lot but that particular time everyone just because the show had just premiered and it was called the pork chop everyone had me on their visual I guess and everyone it seemed saw me and it was very surreal it was a very small taste of how someone like Michael Jackson Mm -hmm. or Beyonce or someone who is a huge megastar would feel because I felt like Everyone was watching everything I was doing everyone was looking at me, and uh, there was no place I could go to that someone wasn't going to want to say hello or wave at me or know who I was and it was so un it was, it was just an out of this body experience. Mm-hmm. I remember telling my friend in Walmart I was like, "This is weird, I feel so weird having my my life like on stage and everybody knows who I am, oh. but I don't know anybody." <laughs>
0: This is a a very, very um, common question I had. Would you ever do an All-Stars? Oh, gosh, yes. I wanted to do All-Stars. I was the one who started the bring back so-and-so.
1: I think I started bring back Porkchop. But I was was talking about an All-Stars before there was ever an All-Stars put together. I haven't been asked to do it. I personally don't think I ever will be because I don't think RuPaul sees me in that light any longer. I think he sees me... I think he just sees me differently, maybe as a um, friend Mm -hmm. uh, who's a friend of him and the show. Maybe he sees me as someone who doesn't need to be on it anymore. I don't know. But I have certainly used my Twitter and used my (laughs) social media and told them and asked them in person. I've never asked Rue because I don't think Rue... is involved in you know casting of all stars. She's probably got the yet last yes or no, but I'm sure she's not the person who starts with the initial however many people they have listed that they would like to be on the show. I've never even been on the list that I am aware of. They've never called and told me you're in, you know in consideration. They've never told me anything, but they always call me and tell me well, we want you on set this day and we're going to pay you this much and do this this and this. And so it works out great for me because I'm on the show yeah. and I don't have to worry about making another outfit that I'm going to wear myself in because I still don't know how to sew.
0: And it's also kind of like you are an all-star by, like, the multiple times that you are on the show, you know, it works that you keep your face still out there. Yes, and the
1: fact that I'm used, the that they use me on the show puts me in a position that other people want to use me for different things as well. I have gotten a lot of bookings based upon my appearances on Drag Race because people have seen me on the show and they're like, oh, let's get him for this, let's Mm -hmm. get him for that.
0: Now, since this show is called Exposed, I would like you to think about your time on Drag Race. And was there a moment behind the scenes, funny, sad, mad, happy, something that happened that the viewers may not have seen that you still hold on to this till this day?
1: there is. When that came down to the moment of elimination between Akasha and I, RuPaul had this blank look on her face and she looked... She looked her dead at me, and she looked at me, and she said, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go talk to the producers. And she stopped filming, and she got up from the table, and she went not talk to the producers. And I knew right then I'm getting eliminated because the producers had been seeing in the camera everything that had, Akasha had been saying to the cameras and everything I'd been doing, and Rue hadn't. Rue had been either in her dressing room or at the table, and she hadn't seen any of the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. interviews. And I thought, they're going to keep her because she's – showing her ass and i'm you know trying to be miss congeniality over here <laughs> and now i've made a fool of myself with this lipstick and i've slipped on this sausage factory stage and they're probably gonna, i know they're gonna send me home and poor rue's gonna have to do it so i wasn't shocked but she didn't i can tell i don't think she wanted to send me home i think she would have kept me if the producers would have backed her but it was two to. there was three producers in the room two of them said akasha one of them said me and i'm sure Rue probably went with the one who said me, but then it would have been a tie. Yeah. And I'll guarantee you the other two weren't gonna change their mind.
0: <laughs> now, I I wanna know, like, what do you think is your biggest highlight or accomplishment of your career? What what mm. do you what are you very proud of? I'm very proud
1: of the fact that I have had a very long, very successful, mm-hmm. unexpected career. This isn't a career that you know lasts 35 yeah. years. This is a career that might last 10 years if you're really, really good and you're really, really lucky. A lot of queens get burnt out. A lot of queens get caught up in things like we all do. I have, for whatever reason, been able to totally change my life and my circumstances to go with the flow of where life is leading me. Yeah. And I'm still amazed at the fact that here I am, almost 35 years later and my first huge success was being second runner-up at miss usa at large in 1990 well in 2021 i was on the finale of drag race and i've been on how many episodes of drag race i don't know but i've been on a great deal and all this has happened because i've never ever not taken an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very proud of the fact I've been able to have such a long career. And whatever it is that's been given to me by whomever there is out there who gives away these wonderful gifts, it's there. And obviously I have something, I don't know what it is or how I got it or how to get rid of it. And I don't want to get rid don't of it. Don't
0: ever get rid of it.
1: But I've got it. And I don't know what it is, but it works. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, you, like you said, you know, your career has expanded. Like, you know, almost thirty-five years. What time period did you like performing the best? Like, what were like? Was there a time where like you were like, oh, I really like performing in these clubs or these bars, whatever? Was there like a good time period?
1: Oh my gosh,
0: yes. When I lived,
1: well, in the early two thousands, when I was um, right before I moved to Louisville, I traveled a lot. I always traveled a great deal. I would go from North Carolina down to Florida from north carolina up to new york and i'd work all the way there and back and i'd be gone sometimes two weeks working every night of the week somewhere in the country and i learned to do that from my drag mom because she was a touring queen then uh the first time you know in louisville and the entertainer of the year pageant has always been very good to me the first time i did eoy which was an entertainer of the year go look it up online i did it because there was a pageant on sunday night and i was off and i was I'm going to go do it. And I called a couple of people. they were like, girl, Saison's doing the pageant and such and such doing the pageant. And I was like, well, girl, I'm going to go do it, too. And I, I had, you know, a few hundred dollars. And I was like, well, if I go do this pageant and lose, I'm going to be broke. But I've been broke before. It don't matter. I'll have some more money this weekend. And if I win, then I'll have an extra thousand dollars because the winner got a thousand dollars. And I went. And I did the pageant, and there was like 14 contestants in the pageant. And Cezanne was there, and Victoria Weston was there, and all these big, huge Entertainer of the Year names was there, and I won. And I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, (laughs) but I won. And then I went to the National Entertainer of the Year, and I got – top five at national. I beat all those people again. And the bar owner offered me a job at this huge nightclub with this huge theater based upon what he saw of me at the national competition. And I couldn't take it right then because I had too many other things going on. But I told him I wanted to take the job, and I would in 2001, and I couldn't until then, but I would in 2001. So in 2001, I called him, and I told him I want to come work there, and that was in January. He hired me to start in March, and I moved to Louisville in March, and I just loved performing in that theater. It was huge, and if you go online and you see the pageant videos of EOY, that theater that they have the pageant in, 90% of the time, is the theater where the shows are. And every weekend there was 1,500 people at the bar. It was a packed house. I learned so much by doing shows like that. I learned so much about my makeup. I learned so much about... Uh, working with other people, I learned, I learned how to be a really good entertainer just because I was given the opportunity to have this wonderful job. And when it moved me into that position, it moved me into a place where I had access to dancers, mm-hmm. professional dancers who could travel with me and compete with me. And it made me want to rise up to the occasion and be as good as they are because I don't think I would have ever won Continental Plus if I would not have moved to Louisville. I don't think I'd have learned the experiences I learned by working there. And I certainly wouldn't have got the national exposure if I had not moved there. So hats off to George and Eddie D in Louisville, Kentucky for hiring me and giving me yeah. that chance.
0: 1,500 people, like, I, I don't know, like, that would just been so cool. I feel like, you know, drag has come such a long way, and it's changed so much, you know, with Drag Race, and things have changed and evolved over time, but seeing a good drag show is just, like, icing on the cake.
1: Oh, yes, and it was a, it was a great show. They always had a wonderful past there, and... Another friend of mine, whom I started female impersonation with, some of you old girls out there might remember her name, Terry Vanessa Coleman, Um, she worked on the cast there in the mid-90s. And I went there a few times and saw her working there, and I just thought, oh, my God, this theater is beautiful. I would love, you know, one day, never thinking I'd have the opportunity to work in this wonderful place. Well, I did. That dream came true. Maybe Mm -hmm. if you set things in your mind, and it's meant to be somehow... You're able to manifest it. Yeah. Maybe I have. Maybe that's what my secret
0: is. Is I'm able the to, to manifest to manifest my reality yeah. that I want, and somehow I make it happen. So as we are closing this out, I want to know what is next for Porkchop. What's coming up this year, anything exciting? I don't know what's next. With the COVID
1: things, everything's trying to get back to normal. Um, My agent has some things booked for me. So things are trying to get back to normal. So hopefully I'll be able to get back into traveling and performing and doing what I love best. And I love doing television and film. That's Mm -hmm. why I moved to Los Angeles. I hope to be able to do more of that. You never know, there's so many opportunities. You just have to put it out there that you want it to happen, and maybe it will. It certainly has worked that way for me so far, so I'm putting it out there. Whomever the next producer is or
0: director is that's looking for me, here I is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, pork chop for those people that are listening or even those directors and producers who, you know, we're going to get you a new booking from this. <laughs> where, where can they find you on the social media or where can they contact you? Well, they
1: can find me at PorkchopLA on Instagram and on Twitter. And Victoria Parker on the Facebook or they can call my agent Stephen Ford he handles all the money and all the booking (laughs) stuff and he just calls and works it out with me so if you want a booking or you want to hire me to be in a movie or a show or come perform at your bar mitzvah or your birthday or your baby's ninth birthday or whatever it is you want to have I've done it before I'll do it again give (laughs) him a call
0: (laughs) yes I love it thank you so much Chop, for joining me and exposing yourself you like literally this was like the dream booking of a lifetime to have you here I am so honored to have you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And
1: I hope that um, I've been worth all the trouble.
0: Oh, (laughs) girl, I would take it 10 more times over. It's absolutely lovely. He paid for my parking too. It's fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the premiere episode of Exposed, Dragged Out on the Dip. I am so excited to take you on this journey with me. This has always been a goal and a dream of mine just to be able to bring other LGBTQIA plus individual stories to life. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing to my YouTube and for following me along this journey the past few years. It means the absolute world to me and I would not be anywhere without you guys. So make sure to tune in next week for another episode of Exposed, Dragged Out. And remember, you can also go to thedip.com slash RuPaul's Drag Race to read the full interview. Use code expose for 50% off your membership. Once again, that's thedip with twopeas.com promo code expose And be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip, including Hot Off The Mess with Samantha Bush, their daily pop culture podcast, Pop Chaser, their TV history podcast, TV watch repeat, and of course, their real housewives podcast, the Slut Pig Podcast, with my friend Christian Gray Snow. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard, and that's dragged out.
1: Expose yourself. Ah. Show them what you're all about. Dra-